For those of you with children, are your kids in school right now? Are they fully remote or are they doing some mix of both? Today, I decided to get into the world of children's education, somebody who's innovating within it, specifically by tackling the barriers to a good quality education for everyone, whether they be at home or not. So let's explore it a little more on this Authentic Avenue. Age of Learning, a company blending educational best practices, innovative tech, and insightful creativity to bring learning to life for children across the U.S. and abroad. Today, I'm talking to Sunil Gundaria. He's their chief innovation officer and was their chief strategy officer prior to that. Today, we talk about not only how COVID has impacted the way that kids are getting their education right now, we also talk about the barriers to a good quality education when you can't go to the classroom, as well as the long-lasting implications given socioeconomic conditions. We talk about the product, we talk about policy, and we also talk about a specific question on profits and whether or not to take them. It's a story that I think embodies that A word that I focus on here on the show, authenticity. Sunil does a great job talking about how Age of Learning didn't take the bait when they could have raked in the cash during this time. So stay tuned for that. And finally, of course, we also talk about the hope that 2021 brings, not only from a vaccination perspective, but also what happens when a return to traditional educational avenues like the classroom full-time will mesh with the digital tools that Age of Learning has been able to bring to the market. I really like this conversation because Sunil is really easy to talk to, but this is also a topic which is highly important, not just for parents. Education of children now and into the future is extremely important. It's sort of like the new American dream, unfortunately or fortunately, however you choose to look at it. And Sunil has a really, really great way of thinking about it. So I'll share those perspectives with you now. So without further ado, sit back and enjoy as I get real with Age of Learning and Sunil Gandaria. Sunil, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing today? Doing fantastic, Adam. Thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure to do so, especially in this world of new learning. Obviously, it's going to be a topic of our conversation today, how much that landscape has changed just in the last academic year and how it continued to proceed through the end of this one and the beginning of next one. We'll get into all those details in just a second. The first thing I want to know is what about Education as an industry, as an opportunity, whether it be age of learning or the broader idea of it attracted you to commit your professional life to it. Because I know that prior to this, working in things uh, at places like Disney, uh, is it a love for children? I mean, what, what was it about it that that roped you in? Sure. Um, you know, my, my story has been uh, a little bit different than uh, a few people in terms of I, I didn't have one single objective in terms of what I wanted to do from a life perspective. Um, but let me tell you a little bit about how I, I started with Age of Learning. So I had it was about 10 years ago, and I had recently left Disney. I had had, had this amazing opportunity at Disney, uh, where I'd worked for 11 years, to start a business within the context of a truly global brand, right at the nascency uh, of mobile technology as an interactive platform. And my role at Disney was a global role, and I was based in London, gave me some really interesting perspectives uh, in terms of technology, in terms of what could a, the mobile platform do in terms of strengthening existing interactions with the Disney brand, and most excitingly, to create new ways to engage customers through novel products for that platform. Uh, further, you know, mobile really just opened up this incredible opportunities for the brand to increase reach as the technology was ubiquitous and thus opening up new markets. 
and I'd left Disney and I was looking at uh, children's media. I was really interested in this space. I loved the idea that we could use uh, the mobile medium to, to create uh, joy and happiness. Uh, and at that time, it, I was really uh, uh, fortunate to be introduced to Doug Doring, who is the CEO uh, of Age of Learning. Um, in our first meeting, Doug told me about how he founded Age of Learning with this mission to ensure that all children had the foundational skills they needed to achieve academic success and to truly develop a lifelong love of learning and how the team had spent four years to develop our flagship brand, ABC Mouse, before bringing it to market. Um, and, he, and so he presented an opportunity to me to take what I'd learned at Disney about brand and about technology and product to really use all of that to make an impact and literally change lives for millions of kids. And, and, and frankly, that's how my journey started in educational technology. And so now you're here at Age of Learning, of course, and there are so many ways in which this digital education has proliferated across the country, across the world, really. But right now, we are at, uh, at the precipice of, of perhaps its, its greatest growth, I would guess, because especially here in the U.S., more children are home than ever before. They are either in the uh, school uh, on a sort of hybrid basis or they're completely remote. I'm sure that you have noticed that as well. And that, I'm guessing, makes things, while a good opportunity for age of learning, also an incredible challenge because being in that physical environment is, is not only good uh, for children in the way that their minds grow, but also in some cases socioeconomically is the only way that they can get access to quality education. I'm curious to hear your thoughts here and how that growth has come alongside that challenge. Sure, sure. And, and, and in terms of that challenge, and, and let me speak to that first uh, um, as we, and then talk a little bit more about, you know, the pandemic effects and, sure. um, you know, as a educational system, and this is pre pandemic, um, we, we haven't been doing a great job. And what I mean by that is that in the U S nearly 60% of our kids, by the time they're in fourth grade are not achieving proficiency in math or literacy. And for our lower income families, over 75% are not achieving proficiency. So, um, a, they're typically in an age band of, of, of fourth graders, let's say eight-year-olds or nine-year-olds. There's four million kids, and we have two and a half million of them that are not achieving proficiency. And the costs are real, uh, clearly in the, in the kids' lives. And here's some examples. So for kids who do not achieve proficiency in reading, they are four times as likely to drop out of high school. And their mm -hmm. average earnings over their lifetimes are going to be 34% less than those kids that did achieve proficiency. And if you look at it from a macro perspective, uh, in, in terms of GDP, the achievement gap between high and low income students cost the U.S. economy approximately half a billion, or not half a billion, $500 billion a year, which is about three, three to 5% of the GDP. And you see this, and then you look at it in a global perspective, um, over 600 million kids a year are not achieving proficiency. And this was all before the pandemic. Um, and so there has been a need to really relook and redefine at how we we um, we we address uh, the achievement gap in terms of education, and it's it's an amazing area to focus on in terms of innovation and in, and investment to really to really help drive that change. Um, so that investment for you in terms of the product uh, is it is there also an investment going on in 
in infrastructure? Is there ways that you can you can help like governments increase access to this? I mean, because of course you know that is an incredible uh, hindrance to those who don't get access to this quality because well, you've mentioned the stats yourself. I mean, there are serious there are serious uh, consequences for that kind of thing. There are serious consequences, and if you look at the numbers, and again, this is pre-pandemic. Uh, there's about 50 million kids in uh, in in school in the U.S. in, in public education, of which uh, 15 million of them do not have access to either bandwidth or device at home. And I would say one of the um, the positive developments uh, out of the pandemic has been a, a real recognition and need to um, to address the 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 inequity in terms of access. And what we've seen is that uh, um, a lot of districts and a lot of states, uh, including um, in my hometown here in LA, um, invested uh, quite a bit of effort and, and money into ensuring that all their students could learn at home um, and to, to, to bridge that gap and ensure that there was some equity in terms of access to learning, um, not only in a place, but at home as well. So that's pre-pandemic, of course. Now we're here and I mean, we've been here for a while now. It's affected, I guess, two halves of an academic year. It's going to affect the back half of this one and, and next year. What what have you seen? What have you learned? Uh, because my guess is that what age of learning does has become more important than ever right now. Yeah, and, and, we, and we completely believe that as well. And and, and we're, we're, we're actually quite optimistic that, uh, um, as you pointed out, that the pandemic will provide a spotlight to some of these systemic problems that we have and, and will be a catalyst for change. And as a company, uh, it's something that we've been aggressively investing in, in terms of innovation, creating next generation learning products like our mastery products, which were really created to directly address the learning crisis that we currently have in math and reading, or we've had in math and reading for the last you know, 10 to 15 years um, related to the achievement gap. And these products are being built using technology that adapts to the learning needs of a child so that all children can achieve mastery of a concept or skill. You know, and the, and the way we've come about, and we've been working on this product for the last six years, we've applied a lot of rigor and science to our efforts. You know, we look at um, both the learning and behavioral sciences and uh, to apply principles to ensure that we're taking into account that both how we as humans learn best and what motivates us to learn um, and what will re- result in improved outcome for kids? We strongly believe that you know investment in continued in- innovation in educational technology, how you bring in parents and teachers in terms of driving towards individual success of every child is something that you know our brand is our brand and company is a hundred percent behind. So when we look even beyond this, and then I'll talk about the fact that this whole pandemic may in twenty twenty one come to you know at least a, not a stop, but maybe a, a great slowing. What does the future state look like for the way that age of learning goes and changes lives? I think the reason why I ask this question is because I think about like, all right, this is going to be, this is going to seem really overblown, but the American dream used to be like a car in a par- and the car in the garage and like a chicken in every pot, right? Something like that, where you had access to that opportunity. It seems now that one of the greatest barriers to that big opportunity is education. I mean, is there is there a grand statement that you all aspire to, which is like a you know high quality education in every home sort of thing? I mean, where where do you hope to be, you know, five ten years from now? Yeah, that's a great question. 
you know, I, it, it goes back to our, 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 our mission and our vision to ensure that, uh, that every child has um, yeah, access to, uh, to the foundational skills they need uh, to create academic success and then lifelong success as well. And, and, and again, you know, really view and value learning as something that is, is fulfilling and um, helps them not only gain skills that they need to, uh, to achieve what they need to academically, but apply those skills in a way that uh, they, they, they find something productive to do um, that really fulfills them in life and, and provides, uh, I guess, income and fulfillment to that, to that matter. And it, the way we see that happening is that um, technology and educational technology in particular becomes an instrument that extends learning from just being something that may happen within the context of four walls uh, in a classroom, but can be, happen anywhere. Um, and it should happen anywhere. And you're able to bring in things that uh, you come across in life and, and relate them back to what you're learning in classroom. So contextualizing learning in a, in a, in a much better way than we perhaps are able to do now. Yeah. I got to ask about this as well, because this is just something that's popped up in the, in the last couple of weeks from what I have seen. And granted, that means that it comes from my perspective of somebody who's already been through college and is now, you know, well into my young adult life. But what I had seen, what I have seen are that uh, companies are, are getting taken to task right now over things like price gouging of e-educational materials, e-books in particular. Amazon gets hit with an antitrust lawsuit saying it's partnering with publishers to drastically increase the price of these materials because that's the only way that people can get them right now. You have, as Age of Learning, really pursued this, this way of free educational tools, but also, I'm guessing somewhere have have growth in mind. Does that temptation ever 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 strike to say like we've got a real opportunity here to be sticky, but also to to grow? How, how do you? I mean, that's I would say that's natural that urge to the curve to everybody, especially people in business. But um, how, when you see that going on around you, do you ensure that you just stick to these values no matter what? Well, let me give you a really specific example in terms of. Uh... Of, in terms of what happened at the beginning of the pandemic when schools, we started hearing that schools were shutting down across the country. Um, and this was early in March and this just ahead of all the announcements that went out for, for schools. Um, we, we gathered as an executive team and said, you know, what is our response going to be? And what we decided to do is that to ensure that education and learning could continue to, to could, could continue um, we we formed something called our school continuity initiative, where we um, reached out to schools and um, educators across the country to say, you know, we're going to offer our core product ABC Mouse for free um, to and you're a lot and you can send codes to to home to any of your students and that you you feel like need access to to our product. Um, and we had over eighty thousand educators contact us. Uh, and had over a million, uh, a million uh, families take advantage of this offer, um, and, and and we felt like it was really important. You know, we built a lot of trust with families, uh, and even though that was something that uh, um, conflicted with necessarily business goals or our profit goals, we we felt that it was important to be investing in what we believed in and, and ensuring that all kids did have and continue to have access to our products. Uh, um, and it's worth noting that, you know, from the, the get-go or the founding of, or, or from when we launched our product, um, you know, our CEO, Doug, uh, Doug Doring wanted to make sure that uh, the access existed. And 
um, we had offered from 2011 um, our products free to teachers in classrooms. So we wanted to ensure when the pandemic has started that that access through their teachers would still be available to students who couldn't otherwise afford our product. So you stood for that. I think that's that's really important. I, I, let me get on a 30-second pedestal for the listeners. Listeners, this is what I look for when I look for stories of remaining, uh, staying authentic to, to yourself and to values despite the circumstances. If you are a college student right now or just came out of college, you for sure know that these resources can become incredibly expensive. And to hear on top of that, that now you have publishers and tech companies getting you know in a hot water with that BS of making sure prices go up because you don't have access otherwise is like the complete opposite of the point. What Age of Learning has done here, it seems, at least as far as this host is concerned, is made an investment against that hindrance of, what did you say, 34% lower income through the, you know, for the rest of your life. I mean, that, that is much bigger than a business bottom line in 2020 or 2021. I, I think that's great. I think more people should do, should do that. Now I'm not saying everybody should go out there and make the product free all the time, but I mean like that, when there is a higher calling, you respond. And I think that's, I think that's great. So, you know, I'm sure you've had, you know, your, your 80,000 educators, everybody's saying thanks, but I'll get in line for saying that. Thanks for doing that for kids. Seriously. It's a good thing. Appreciate that, Adam. And it, 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 it's certainly good to be a part of a company that believes that their mission is, a, you know, is, exists all the time, as, as you said. It's, it's not something that we, we just put on a piece of paper. We live it. Completely. So now I want to ask about, about this future that we're hopefully going to get to maybe even this year. Vaccine seems pretty good. I think a lot of people are at least in the, on the East Coast where I am in the Mid-Atlantic saying that most people might have access to it by, you know, as early as June, as late as August or September. Seems pretty good. As far as kids are concerned, that probably means that the more traditional educational methods are going to re-enter uh, their lives. And so they'll be getting back into school if they're not there already, which is great. What do you anticipate for the business now that there's going to be a healthier mix of digital and in-person? Um, when those, let's call it the traditional educational avenues and, and the new age avenues that you that you bring. I believe one of the, you know, kind of the key takeaways from this time will be that learning can happen anywhere and should happen and should happen everywhere. And, you know, as we think about new models and products, what we will also have learned is that just taking a traditional classroom type of lecture approach and then putting on Zoom is, is not uh, the solution or not the only solution, and we can do much more. And as a company, you know, we've been at the forefront of digital learning. Um, we feel that we're incredibly well positioned for this growth as people look at, you know, how do I learn not only in school or, or in a formal setting, but also informally at home and, and, and for parents in particular and the parents that are going to use our product and actually for schools as well, they're going to look at, look, how do I extend learning beyond maybe what I'm, what I'm getting from school? And, uh, and then, and I guess, um, just coming back to teachers, it's going to be, look, we're going to come back in to this academic year with a, a high variation in terms of what each student knows. And we've seen this uh, in the past, uh, you know, post-Katrina, uh, um, students were coming back to schools in New Orleans with three years of variation. So within, within a classroom, you could have somebody that's in a first grade classroom, you could have somebody that's at a preschool level and you could have somebody that's maybe at a second grade level within one classroom. And wow. tech, educational technology itself can be used to help address that learning variability that'll 
that'll um, that'll be in that will be present. I I think well, I'm glad that you're. T- I mean, even even hearing that, I mean that there's still so much variations. Hopefully, hopefully something that will. We'll, eventually move to a much more sort of targeted, specified way of doing things that'll become the standard. Uh, I'm glad for the improvements that you all are making in the space generally, um, you know, especially, especially right now. So let me, let me round out with this, this final question that I have. It is a typical question. If people listen to this show a lot, they hear it. You've listened to a couple episodes of this. You've heard it too. I produce this show mainly for people who are looking to become better brand builders, people who are looking to build brands by themselves, generally people who are looking to to stick to values, to to build a story and stick to it. And whether that be personal or professional, they listen to this show to to hear advice from from the stars, as it were. Not from people who are who have proven it. And my question when I boil the ocean is how do you suggest that others build their own avenues to authenticity? What I really mean to say is that how how does how do you encourage somebody either by themselves or a brand to craft and then stay true to what they personally believe regardless of circumstance i'd be curious to hear your thoughts cuz it sounds like you just went through a period where you you stuck to your guns and something had to come out of that that people can walk away with yeah i i love this question adam and i've really found uh, a lot of insight from others you've asked this question so i've thought about it a lot and um, let me, let me, my approach is as a parent of two kids and, um, you know, and, and my kids are at the age that one of them just started college and we talk a lot about, you know, what they want to do and what's important to them. And, and I, and I find with that, uh, their generation, they truly want to engage in products and invest in, 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 and work for companies that deliver more than profits. And um, and if I if I may, there's a great article. I'll refer you to a great article uh, by Michael Porter and Michael Kramer on this idea called shared value that really resonates with me and it resonates with my kids as it encourages businesses to create products and innovate in areas that really enable societal progress and to make that as a core part of their strategy. It, it's really kind of the transcendence of corporate social respons- responsibility. To to becoming the idea that a company as your core strategy, it should be or it can be to solve a broader societal problem. And so that's what you know. I've been really fortunate to have with Age of Learning because our brand truth is very clear. We measure success not only in terms of revenues and profits, but equally and more importantly so in the terms of lives that we can impact. And you know, I think if as 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 your listeners think about their own business and and start potentially even starting a business. You know, think about what you can deliver in terms of overall, you know, better outcomes for society, sustainability, and uh, I think you'll find a real uh, true formula for success. I want to give that a closer read. Can do you mind uh, re- repeating the name of the the author of that piece? Sure, it's uh, Michael Porter and Michael Kramer, and uh, it's it's the uh, the article is about shared valued capitalism. Shared value capitalism. I'm just writing that down here in my notes, and listeners, I will leave a note to that. Uh, I'll leave a link to that in the show notes because you might find it interesting as well. Something, something else to walk away with here. Uh, for now, it's been a pleasure to to capture more of this story and to um, just get a view on what people are doing to help children right now, I think, in, in, in any walk of life, but especially in education. I don't have children, but I would want them to have access to a good education, no matter their socioeconomic circumstance, no matter where they are, uh, no matter their health. 
and um, things like this uh, ensure that they that they will down the road if something happens to me. So I appreciate it, and um, you know, Sunil, for everything that you shared here, can't thank you enough. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Adam. Thinking back on last year and this coming year, maybe it's fortunate that I'm not yet of the age where I have a family to take care of, but if I did, I would certainly look to something like Age of Learning to help me while homeschooling kids. So thank you very much, Sunil, for your perspective here. By the way, the HBR article referenced in the show today will be linked in the show notes. And thanks to you, of course, the listener, for tuning in today. If you liked what you heard, a few things you can do. Subscribe across podcast directories. Leave a review and rating if you like. That really helps me out and lets me know that you're there. Also across social LinkedIn, primarily. Authentic Avenue is where our growing community lives, and I'm there personally too, Adam Connor. You can also write me by email, adam at authenticavenuemedia.com. If you are looking to get into the podcast world more from a brand perspective, I can certainly help you out or at least give you some education. With that, I'm going to sign off now. So this is your host, Adam Connor, saying until I get real again with you, thanks for taking a walk with me down Authentic Avenue. <laughs>